Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our teaching leaders, Brett Tatko, will be discussing Genesis chapters 45 through 47. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 45, and join Brett as he shares truths from God's Word. Hey everyone, good evening. Welcome to another week of BSF. It's great to have you here. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We're looking at the story of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at Genesis uh, 45, the life of Joseph, uh, 45 through 47 tonight. Let me pray for us, and we'll go ahead and get started. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the chance that we have to be in your word. Lord, thank you for the time that you've taken to get your word to us, the, the, the generations upon generations of people that have translated, have provided this uh, these documents to us. Thank you, Lord, for preserving your word for our generation. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear from you tonight. Amen. So about eight years ago, my wife and I went to a wedding. It was a wedding for someone in her family. It was in Nebraska. And this is definitely a pre-COVID event, right? You know, wedding receptions were a lot of people in a small space. And we were at the reception, and there's always in a, there's always like some program at a reception, right? There's maybe there's the first dance or there's uh, cutting the cake, the speeches from the best man or maid of honor. You know, those things probably happened at this reception. But the memory that I have of this event was one of the wait staff. Now, we don't know what his name was, but we called him Fabio. He was amazing. He was all over the room. He seemed to be in charge, and whenever there was something going on, Fabio was in the middle of it. Uh, Someone needed to get a glass of water. Fabio was there. Someone spilled their glass of water. Again, Fabio was there. Grandma of the bride was overheated from the outdoor wedding and needed to be fanned. Fabio was there. Somebody fell over. Fabio was there helping him off the ground. Dude was everywhere. It was it was truly amazing, and it, it just became the only thing at the reception that I could watch was, what was Fabio going to do next? There was probably cake cutting and dancing and speeches that were made. That was all lost to me because I was exclusively focused in on what Fabio was doing and what he was going to do next at this wedding reception. You know, I don't have a clear memory of what initially got my attention focused on him. But once I had seen him, once I had seen him moving in the room, he was literally all the all that I could really pay attention to for the rest of the evening. You know, I was reminded of, of that event as I looked in our passage this week. Uh, there was a lot of things that could have been distracting to Joseph and to Joseph's brothers, or, or, or to Joseph and to Jacob as they went through the events that are that are outlined for us in Genesis 45, 46, and 47. But both of these men were able to see through the distractions, see through uh, the, the, the deception of the brothers and the sins of the brothers, and they were able to see God at work. Uh, both Joseph and Jacob were able to see beyond what was happening and see God working. And I think that's really our, ma- our main th- lesson that we can learn from our passage tonight is that God is at work 
despite the disorder and the chaos and the pain of our lives, God is at work. And so let's take a look at the way that God was working in Joseph's life and in Jacob's life. We're going to be in Genesis 45. We're going to look at all of 45, all of 46, and part of 47. We're going to first of all look at the very first part of Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. We're going to see Joseph reveal himself to his brothers. And then we're going to look at really the, the, what happens as a result of that. Joseph reveals himself, and now what's going to happen? There's four things that are going to happen in the rest of the passage, uh, and we're going to take Take a look at how the nation of Israel ends up coming to live in the nation of Egypt as a result of Joseph's revelation of himself. So grab your Bibles, Genesis 45. Let's take a look, but let's remind ourselves where we are. Uh, we're really at the pinnacle, the, the peak tension of the story of Joseph is where we left off last week. You can remember where we were. There was a long speech from Judah. He was pleading with disguised Joseph to allow Judah to take the place of Benjamin uh, to potentially become a prisoner or a slave of the disguised Joseph. So we're left with this moment. We have a couple of questions that are that that were left from last week. The first one is is like what's going to happen in the story? Probably we all read ahead, right? We just we couldn't stop at the end of Genesis 44. But we're wondering what's going to happen. What is Joseph's response going to be to Judah's intercession for Benjamin? That's kind of the immediate question. But the broader question is like what is Joseph after? What is he trying to do with with all of this the, 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 this this alleged deception and this misdirection and this confusion that we've seen, where Joseph is concealing himself? What is he trying to accomplish in uh, in his plan in the lives of his brothers? And we're going to see all that come into frame this week. So first of all, uh, Joseph definitely had a plan that he was executing. And I think we can finally see in our passage this week that Joseph had a fourfold purpose. So let's take a look at that purpose that Joseph had. First of all, the first thing we're going to see, his first fold is in verses one through three, Joseph has always intended to reveal his true identity to his brothers. We see him do that right away. He says, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? And he begins to weep. He's identifying himself not just as any Joseph, but as the Joseph that's specifically connected to these 11 brothers. Is my father still alive? Is Jacob still living? So Joseph has now revealed himself. His brothers are dismayed because of what they had done to him in the past. They figure that Joseph has been plotting his revenge, and so they are concerned. Joseph immediately goes into the second point, the second purpose that he was after, and that's the forgiveness of his brothers. We see this in verses 4 through 8. Joseph has very much been able to see past the sin of his brothers and to see more deeply what has been God doing, what has God done with these events. Uh, Joseph says very clearly that God sent him to Egypt to preserve life. Uh, He wasn't focused on what his brothers had done to him in the past, but instead he had seen what God was doing by placing him in Egypt, by placing him in Potiphar's house, by placing him in prison, and then ultimately by placing him in Pharaoh's house. Uh, Also, we see Joseph is intending to save his family. This is in verses 9 through 13. Salvation from the Pharaoh, from the famine, was definitely at top of mind for Joseph. 
uh, he had he had already picked out a place for them to live. So he's already thinking, I'm going to have a way for the family to come back to be with me in Egypt. So he talks about this area called Goshen. He reveals that there's five more years of famine that are yet to come. Joseph was going to provide land. He was going to provide food. Uh, essentially, Joseph is is Pharaoh's method, God's chosen method of delivering uh, land, seed, and blessing to the nation of Israel was going to come through Joseph and ultimately through the Egyptian people. So Joseph has a plan to bring salvation to his family. And then we also see one of Joseph's objective, his fourth objective, is ultimately reunion with his brothers and with his family in general. Verses 14 and 15, he fell upon his brother's Benjamin neck, he wept, uh, there was kissing, there was talking, there was really just like catching up on the last 20 years Joseph probably had much to say to his brothers about what God had been doing in his life for the last 20 years. Going back to verse 10, we can see that Joseph intended his family to be near to him. Uh, Joseph didn't want to have, you know, he didn't want to just live in the same town and never see his brothers, never see his father. He wanted them to be close to each other. He wanted them to be reunited as a family unit in the land of Goshen, in the land of Egypt. You know, it's almost as if Joseph was plotting and planning to reunite his family, to have this massive family reunion. And the reality is, and the principle for this section, is that that's what God's planning for us. God is planning to reunite and restore his people. God is planning to reunite and restore his people. You know, our natural tendency as humans is that we tend to seek revenge against those who do us wrong. We all can probably think of a favorite revenge book or a favorite revenge movie that we have read or seen. The first one that came to my mind as I was putting this lecture together was The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Edmond Dantes plots to get revenge on the three men that got him imprisoned for life. Uh, and we see that story unfold. We can all probably pull off a, a diabolical revenge is mine statement, but we've probably never heard someone say, restoration is mine. Uh, it's not something that's part of our experience as uh, people on this earth. But that is what Joseph was pursuing. Joseph was not pursuing revenge. His plan, his schemes, his plots were reunion and restoration of his immediate family. And friends, that's what God is about as well. God is not intending to punish humanity. God is not intending to, to, to cast everybody aside. Uh, God is, is working to provide a way for humanity to be restored and reunited with him. That is what God's plan is about. And that is exactly what Joseph was doing with his family. Well, perhaps you can think of a time in your own life when you've made the decision to seek revenge. Well, who was it? Who was it that you went after? Uh, what did it look like for you to seek to be avenged or revenged in your life? And, and how did it go? And if you were successful, how did it make you feel? Uh, I think many of us are going to end up feeling a lot like Edmund Dantes did at the end of the Count of, Mon of Monte Cristo, where it didn't work. It didn't bring him the satisfaction that he was hoping that it would. And in fact, uh, the, the, the relationships that would have brought him happiness and would have brought him joy were destroyed 
because he sought revenge rather than reconciliation. I think it's good for us to think about what it might look like for for you and for me to plot, to scheme, and to plan what restoration and reunion would look like. Perhaps that person that you sought revenge on sometime in your past, you know, what would it look like for you to pursue restoration with that person? What might it look like for you to reunite, to forgive, to to be rejoined with someone who has been potentially an an enemy or or at least someone that you've been frustrated with over the years? Who's the first person that you would pursue in your plan of restoration? Joseph wanted to pursue restoration between his brothers and between himself uh, and ultimately with his father, Jacob, and his father's household. Well, as Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers, uh, word begins to go out beyond this this intimate group of people that uh, something's happening in Joseph's life. His family has returned, and as we go into our next section of the of the passage here, we can see in verse sixteen that Pharaoh's house and all of Egypt sort of becomes aware that uh, Joseph's family is on the scene. So we're going to look at four things that happen. Uh, in the lives of in the life of the nation of Israel and Jacob's life, as a result of Joseph's revelation of himself, and he reveals who he is. First of all, at forty five sixteen through twenty eight, Pharaoh gives a command regarding Joseph's family. He essentially says, "Go back to Canaan and bring your family to me. Bring your families to Egypt." Uh, you can see in verse 21, according to the fa- the command of Pharaoh, there were wagons, there were provisions, there were donkeys, there were changes of clothes, there were, you know, there were silver that was provided. So that, so Pharaoh is now commanding that Joseph bring his family into the land of Egypt. We see that there's a special recognition once again in this section of Benjamin. He's given a, a five-fold blessing. Uh, but the, the brothers travel back to the land of Canaan and they begin to reveal what happens. Our next section is, so Pharaoh's command is first. Second, we're going to see all Israel travel to Egypt. And this is going to be 4525 through 4628, a longer section with a lot of names in it. But as the brothers go back and they begin to relay to Jacob what has happened, Jacob's a little bit reluctant uh, he is a little shocked. His, the Bible says he be, his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Now, we have to believe that in this interchange, the complete story of Joseph's enslavement came out. The brothers had to tell how they had sold him, how they had deceived Jacob with, with pig's blood in his coat. Uh, and the reality is, is that you know, Jacob had every reason to doubt their story. He had every reason to not believe them. They had been lying to him for the last 20 years. Why is this most recent event suddenly truthful? But Jacob sees the gifts. He sees what's happening. And finally, in verse 28, he says, it is enough. Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Uh, This is an opportunity where Jacob is acting by faith. He is trusting that that God is at work and there's more that's going on here than just the story of these brothers. So as they're traveling down, uh, we see that God begin, God appears in the, in the area of Beersheba 
to Jacob. He tells Jacob to not be afraid. Go down to Egypt. Jacob, this is part of my plan. This is the way that God is intending to make Israel into a great nation. He promises to be with Jacob. He promises to bring the nation back from the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan. And God also promises Jacob that Joseph's hand will close your eyes. God is affirming, now that, now that, now that Jacob is on the road, God is affirming that this is exactly what God intends Jacob to do. We then have a long section in the middle that reminds us that everybody went. There was no home alone Israeli version as the house of Israel left the land of Canaan and went down to the land of Egypt. We can see uh, beginning in verse 8, we get a, a listing of the descendants. Chapter 46, verse 8, we see the 33 people named as a part of Leah's family. We can then see in verse 16 of chapter 46, Zilpah's family is listed there, 16 named people. Rachel's family begins in verse 19. We have 14 named people. Joseph and his two sons are in this list. And then finally, uh, we have uh, the, the children of Bilhah mentioned in verse 23. So we go through this list. There's two, there's, there's two sort of summary numbers that we're provided with. Now, it's really hard to know exactly who's being counted. Uh, one of the numbers is 70. One of the numbers is 66. Uh, if it's just counting men, okay, maybe that makes sense. There's a couple of daughters and women that are named in the accounts. Jacob's never specifically named in the numbering. The point is, is that the numbers don't really matter, except to say that the nation of Israel is pretty small, right? 70 people. Uh, probably you and I were in college classes where we had more than 70 people around us. We were, you know, intro to psych or intro to biology, lecture halls of 150 people. That's the quantity that we're talking about here. It's not a huge nation. It's not a, a massive number of people. It's a small group that is coming down with Jacob and his family. We want to remember that the original audience of the book of Genesis was the Exodus community. And when they left, according to Numbers 136, there were 600,000 men who were 20 and older, men who were able to be soldiers in the army. Now, in order to get from 70 to 600,000, we need to do a multiple of of 8,600. So there was going to be some massive growth that was going to happen in the time when the people were in the land of Egypt, uh, both as welcome guests of Pharaoh at the, at the beginning of their time and then later on as slaves. God was going to truly grow a nation in the land of Egypt. As we go on in our passage, verses 28 through 30, we see that, again, the third thing that happens is that Joseph is reunited with his father in the land of Goshen. Now, it's, it's been mentioned a couple times heretofore in the passage. We don't know exactly where Goshen is. The belief is it's on the eastern part of the Nile Delta. So the Nile, the big river in Egypt, famous, has a delta that, that expands like a fan, Uh, as it drains into the Mediterranean, someplace on the east towards the land of Canaan, there was, uh, we believe that that's where Goshen is. There's some archaeological sites there that are interesting that looks like they could be a place where 
people were dwelling, but we really don't know exactly where it is, but that's the best guess. Eastern Nile Delta is where the land of Goshen is. It would have been appropriate for grazing and having herds and livestock. That's what uh, Jacob and his family did. That was their occupation. And we're later going to see Pharaoh give them some additional work to do. But there's a reunion that happens between Jacob uh, and Joseph. And then the other thing that's noteworthy in this section is that Judah is the one who is leading the family from the land of Canaan down to Goshen. He's interacting with Joseph. He's finding out where it is. And he's making sure the family arrives in the land of Goshen. And I'm sure it was a wonderful reunion between uh, Jacob and his, his son, Joseph. We see Joseph beginning to prepare his family to meet with Pharaoh. And this is going to be in, in the fourth thing that happens is that Israel is going to bless Pharaoh. And Joseph prepares his family to meet them. He knew exactly what questions they would ask, what Pharaoh would ask, and he instructs them how to answer. Pharaoh ultimately directs Joseph to settle his family in the area of Goshen. He welcomes them into the land. All of Egypt is before you. Settle in Goshen. And then finally, Jacob meets Pharaoh. Joseph brought in his father, Jacob. He set him before, brought him before Pharaoh. This is uh, 47 verse 7. And we see something very interesting happen. There's a great interchange between these two men, but Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Now, we know from our interaction between Abraham and Melchizedek and from some of the interpretation we get in Hebrews is that the greater blesses the lesser. And so in this situation, Jacob, God's chosen seed, is the greater and he blesses Pharaoh the lesser. This reminds me of the promise that God said to Abraham back in Genesis 12, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And certainly the families of Egypt had been blessed because of Jacob uh, and his son, Joseph, specifically. The principle for this section is that God always allows a response of faith. God always allows a response of faith. You're probably familiar with using a GPS navigational tool. My personal favorite navigational app is Waze, and I've been using Waze for the last eight years or so. And to date myself, uh, before that, I had a collection of Garmin devices that I would sit on the dashboard. Now, you know, if you've used one of these, you know the drill. Some amount of time distance before you need to make a turn, you get an alert. And if I'm on the interstate and I'm about five miles out from the exit, that's when the GPS says, you know, turn right onto Interstate 255 in five miles. Uh, You'll probably get two to three more notifications once you get inside that five-mile marker. And, you know, you're prepared. You you have a chance to get ready for the turn. And if your GPS is on the fritz or if you're not paying attention, you might miss the turn. You're like, ah, I missed the turn. Well, I think the interesting thing is that sometimes God's method of GPS navigation doesn't quite work the way that that Waze does. Uh, God sort of sometimes says, after you've made the turn, after you've responded in faith, after you've committed to take the first steps, well done, you made the right turn. That's what we saw in the life of of Jacob as he was leaving the, the land of Israel. 
uh, God appeared after Jacob had departed, when he was on his way to Egypt, God appeared at Beersheba and he said, do not be afraid, I am with you. Now, sometimes God gives us the pre-turn notification. That's what Abraham got, right? Abraham, leave your, your people and your family and your father's household and go to the land of Canaan. But however God communicates to us, whether it's before or after the turn, we always are given opportunities as God's people to respond with faith, to, to be able to hear what God is saying, to be able to understand his directions from Scripture and from his Holy Spirit, and be able to respond to that with belief and action. And we've seen that throughout the pages of Genesis, whether it's with uh, Jacob leaving to go to Padanaram to, to find a wife or to find a family, or Abraham leaving his father's household, or Isaac digging wells. God is always leaving room for his people to demonstrate faith in who he is. And perhaps you're experiencing that. Perhaps you're experiencing some way that God is asking you to have faith, to have belief in action in him. Maybe it's for the first time ever. We call that, that first time that we turn to God in faith, that's a fancy word that we call salvation. We come to God and we ask him to save us. Because that is our first response in faith is to know that we cannot save ourselves and God has to do it for us. Perhaps you're in a crisis. Perhaps you're, you're wrestling with a big decision. Perhaps there's an illness or some other calamity in your life that's pushing in on you where, where you are struggling and trying to have faith in what God is asking you to do. And I think it's good for us to remember that, that, that faithful responses are hard. Uh, it's not something that we're naturally inclined to do. We, we typically think that people are trying to game us or take advantage of us or seek revenge against us. And so trusting God in faith is a little bit against our natural inclination. It wasn't easy for Jacob to walk away from the land of Canaan. And I'm sure that we've seen jo- Joseph struggle uh, in, in his situation, wondering when God was going to respond. Um, but we know that faithful responses are challenging. But we know that that is what God calls us to do. As you've made faithful choices, how have you seen God affirm them? How have you seen God validate that, yes, that response of faith is exactly what I was looking for? Well, as we wrap up tonight, I started off by talking about um, who are we focused on? Who are we looking at? Who are we seeing? And I talked about this waiter at the wedding reception. Now, certainly, uh, waiters are fun to watch for short periods of time. But friends, the reality is, is that we need to be looking and trying to understand and ascertain what God is doing. How is God working in our lives, in our relationships, in our situations to bring about his plan of reunion and restoration? Joseph was able to do it. Jacob was able to do it. It wasn't easy. But they were able to see how God was working. Friends, are you and I willing to look and to seek and to keep our eyes peeled to see how God is working in our lives, bringing about his majesty, majestic plan for reunion and restoration of his people? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reminder this week that you have a great plan that is similar to Joseph's, but far more grand. You're not trying to keep people alive during a famine but you're trying to draw people to yourself for all eternity. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how we're involved in that. Uh, Lord, help us to see how our faithful decisions 
are bringing about your plan, helping you fulfill your mission in this world of reunion and restoration. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, April 26th at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapters 47 and 48. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.